Hi, welcome everyone who's listening in online today uh, from all of our campuses. Uh, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor at LifePoint in Westville. Grateful to have you listening in. I want to just draw your attention to one thing. If you just uh, kind of scrolled across this on Facebook or other social media, if you go to lifepointohio.com forward slash watch, it'll take you to a landing page where you can watch this uh, video. But there's also some sermon notes you can follow along with, information about our church. And if this is your first time listening in, there's a guest information button that you can click and, and uh, give us a little bit of information. Uh, and there you actually get an email and a survey about uh, our service. So just want to let you know that. Uh, also, on behalf of all of our teaching pastors and all of our staffs at LifePoint, I want to say to you, Happy Mother's Day. I, uh, uh, I'm the youngest of six kids. My mom was such a beautiful lady. Here's a picture of her on her wedding day. Um, she, uh, she had six, like I said, I'm the youngest. We really put her through it. We, uh, we were constantly uh, in trouble and, and breaking things and uh, lots of broken bones and stitches from all of us. Uh, I want to tell you about my mom. Uh, one particular characteristic is just she was so laid back. Just the most low-maintenance, easygoing, calm, peaceful personality of most of any persons I've ever met in my life. She just had that really calm personality. And it helped because, you know, like I said, we were always kind of getting in trouble. Well, I'll give you one story just as a, 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 just an example of my mom. My older brother was riding his bike. He's going down the steep hill. And at the bottom of the hill, they had built a ramp to do a jump. So uh, my brother goes down, he's flying down the hill, he hits the ramp and he pulls up you know, on the handlebars to kind of get some air time or whatever. And when he pulls up, the handlebars actually break off of the gooseneck of the bike. And so he's flying in the air and the handlebars come off. So when he lands, he comes down and hits his head directly on the broken part of the gooseneck of the bike. I mean, jagged edge, it hits him right between the eyes. If it had gone a little to the right or left, he would have lost an eye, no question. So here he is, he's kind of concussed, he's bleeding profusely, and he just runs home, right? He knew he was hurt, he runs home, he's still clutching the handlebars of the bike, he gets there, you know, and he shows up, and there's my mom, and he's got, you know, the handlebars, blood, he's, you know, he's obviously upset, and my mom looks at him and calmly says, okay, come here. She grabs the bike handle, rips his hands apart, just kind of lays it down, goes into the bathroom, calmly cleans him out puts pressure on it, tries to get some butterfly bandages, takes him to the hospital, gets the, you know, the stitches done, just as even keel and calm as possible. If I were to explain to you who my mom was, that's who she was. I, I got to tell you, on Mother's Day, you know, it's fun to honor your parents. If you're like me, my mom has passed. And so I think back to all the memories that I had with her and, and uh, try to honor my mom and think about her on Mother's Day. Uh, for many of you, maybe you're honoring your spouse, uh, or maybe you're thinking about your mom, or maybe for some of you, your mom has passed, or maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your mom. And so Mother's Day can be a little bit hollow for some of us, and, and even a little bit problematic for others. But for many of us, it's an opportunity to celebrate. And, and I just want to take a second, and let's just pray for the moms around us. Uh, as we head into uh, this passage I want to share with you, uh, let's pray that God uses this time to our advantage. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for the gift of moms uh, that you give to our families. And uh, I pray, Lord, for those like me who've, who've lost their mom, I pray that today would be a day that they would be able to celebrate uh, the gift that you've given um, for the time they had. Uh, I pray for those who uh, just are struggling because they, they didn't have a great relationship with their mom. I pray, Lord, even today that you would use today in a, in a positive way in their life uh, to remind them of who you are. And God, for, for all the moms, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just bless their life today. Help them feel honored and blessed by their children and their families. Um, 
God, we, we ask that you would use today in this time of our service just to draw us close to you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gifts you've given us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we're actually in a series we're calling Labels. We're looking at the book of Luke, and of all the four Gospels, Luke really highlights some uh, interactions that Jesus had with people who were on the fringes, people who are most likely to get labeled. And in this series, our big idea we're looking at is the idea that the Gospel calls us to live a life above labels. Now, uh, one of the things that we're doing in our series is that we're asking everyone to read along in the book of Luke. So I hope that you've been doing that. And if you're hearing that for the first time, you can join us and start in the book of Luke and kind of go along. And our hope is to finish it this month uh, by the 29th of May and to celebrate that. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about today is the idea that, you know, the idea of a mother is a label, right? We all have labels. Uh, mothers are a label that they carry, and we put a name of mother on them, and it, it carries a great honor. That's why we celebrate mothers every year, because of the influence and the impact they have on families. Well, one thing I have noticed about moms is that sometimes they make that label into their entire identity. And then I've seen on the other side, when, when they become empty nesters and how that impacts them, and, and a lot of times I've seen moms who, they, they kind of take their entire self-worth based on how their kids are doing. So if their kids are thriving and doing really well, then they feel really good about themselves. And if their kids are struggling or kind of go off the rails, then they kind of take a negative view of themselves. And, and, and in a way, that label can become their limit. They can miss out on all the things that God wants for their life because they're, they're kind of stuck in that label. Now, in the same way, though, that happens to everybody. There are labels that we carry, whether it's our job or our marriage or uh, maybe our economic status or uh, kind of our position in life or maybe it's our grades. Whatever it is, there are times we can take uh, these labels to be the most important things in our life. We get so wrapped up in them and we tend to gravitate towards labels that make us feel confident and comfortable in life. And they, if we're not careful, can actually become our limits. So then the question is how do we live above limits? What is the gospel calling us to? So that's what we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 2. And the first thing I want to share is this, and uh, it, it's that some labels carry a lot of weight. So if you were with us last week at all of our campuses, we shared from, uh, from Luke about uh, the idea that, that, you know, here's Joseph and Mary, they go to Bethlehem and, and they have the baby Jesus, and then angels show up to shepherds the most unlikely uh, people that God would announce the birth of his son to. These people who are, you know, kind of the lowly uh, working class of Israel, and God shows up to them to tell them the birth of his son, the birth of the Savior is coming into the world. So now they go uh, to Bethlehem and they see Mary. So Mary has been told by the angel up front that, that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says, well, how can this be? And he explains to her that God is going to overshadow her. He's going to place the baby in her womb. And so she's carrying this special baby. And then there on the day of his birth, these, these shepherds show up and say, the angels showed up to us too. They told us about your baby, the Messiah. Then eight days later, they do what all good Jewish families do. They take the child in for the, for the rites, uh, for circumcision and some of the ceremonies. And here's what, it, here's what they find when they get uh, the kid to the temple. They get baby Jesus to the temple in verse 29 of Luke 2. It says, now, Lord, uh, what happens is they, they come across this man named Simeon who's who's a righteous uh, man who's there at the temple. Uh, he's probably an older man who's been serving there. And the Holy Spirit has let him know that he will see the Messiah before he leaves, before he dies. And here's what happens. That he sees the baby Jesus and he takes him up in his arms and says this, verse 29, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child appointed for the fall is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I mean, can you imagine this for a second? That here's Joseph and Mary and, you know, they realize they're carrying this baby that is the Messiah, but they don't really know what all this entails. And, and here they are, you know, they're, they're there in uh, Bethlehem and these, you know, shepherds come running in and say, the angel showed up to us. And then eight days later, a little more than a week, you go to the temple and you're doing the very thing that all good Jewish families do. And this man who you don't really know grabs the baby and says, this baby, this is the baby. This baby is going to be a light to the Gentiles for revelation. This baby is going to be the glory of Israel. And he looks at Mary and says, but also this baby is going to be polarizing. It's going to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. And you, Mary, it's going to be like a sword piercing your heart. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the weight of that? You know, every parent, and I can tell you, I have, I have two children. Every parent who, who brings their kid home from the hospital can feel the weight of that. This child is placed in your arms, and, and you realize my job as a parent is to protect this child, to raise this child. And here's Mary. Not only does she have that weight on her shoulders, but she's hearing that this child is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, meaning they are going to hear the gospel. One day, people will be, you know, having services in, you know, Lewis Center and Westerville and Plain City and Marion, Ohio and, and Delaware and Westerville. We're all going to be worshiping this Jesus because he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. But Mary, it's going to pierce your heart. I mean, that's a lot of weight to carry. I think that all parents um, want their kids to make a difference in the world, right? We all have that feeling and, and, you know, we want our kids to do well. And imagine, you know, here's Mary who realizes my kid is going to be this incredible figure. That weight is a little bit heavier to carry than other labels that we carry in life. I, I can feel that myself. Maybe you felt that if you're a parent. Uh, you know, I have, I have two children. My, my goal uh, as, a, as a parent, along with my wife, is that uh, we realize that these children were given to us by God. They don't belong to us, and we want to raise them well. My top priority is to figure out how do I disciple my kids to know Jesus. And so their whole lives, I've been doing everything I can to help them to know and follow Christ. And I've encouraged them. I've tried to train them. And I try to, you know, pour gas on things when I feel like God is doing stuff in them. And I'm trying to help curb them when things aren't going the right direction. Well, my oldest daughter, uh, last year in school, she goes to a public school. Uh, they were in the middle of a class, and, and during class, uh, they were had a discussion, like a group discussion, uh, led by the teacher, and it came up about uh, how some cultures were kind of influenced by the Bible. And uh, this guy, this student, says, well, I think that science is a much better ideology to build your uh, community on than the Bible. My daughter just said, well, actually, I think the Bible points to God, and I believe that science points to God. And everyone in the class started laughing at her. I mean, she was completely ridiculed. People just started peppering her, and she was trying to answer, and people were just kind of just 
literally bullying her in that moment. The teacher, you know, tried to kind of stop that. My daughter went into the bathroom and cried. She came home, she told me about it, and she said, you know, they all laughed at me, Daddy. I remember thinking in that moment, like, how am I supposed to protect my kid from this? Do I, do I pull my kid out of school, protect her, just surround her with only Christians where, where she will be protected and not have to face the ridicule? Or do I teach her and train her how to stand up for her faith so that someday not only can she deal with people who are ridiculing her, but maybe actually make an impact for the gospel? So we've been praying about that together and talking about that and showing her different ways and, uh, you know, that, that she can have conversations with people and, and point to Christ. And, and uh, her, own, her own decision this year, she had an opportunity to do a six and a half minute speech in class. And she said, Daddy, I want to show how science actually points to God. I said, okay. I gave her some websites, some research to do, and she did her research. And uh, she came back and she said, well, here's my presentation. Can you help me tweak it? And so I helped her kind of round out some of the edges, but here was her presentation. She started out in class, six and a half minute presentation. She started out by saying how, uh, you know, she had been to the ocean recently and how big it is. And she had a friend who had a baby and how amazing this baby is. And she goes, it's things like this that make me wonder if all of this is random. So here she is presenting to the class. She said to the class, have you ever wondered, are all these things just random? Did they happen by chance? And she said, that's why I started doing research to show or to see how, uh, you know, science actually points to a creator. And she ran across what's called the cosmological argument. And so she explained the cosmological argument. And she said, there are two irrefutable scientific facts that everyone agrees on in science, that uh, the, the law of cause and effect, that everything that's here has to have had a cause. That, and then secondly, is that everything that exists began to exist. And she started quoting Hubble and Einstein about how you know, that everyone believes the universe started at a particular time, whether it's the Big Bang or otherwise, that it had a starting point. And she said, because everything has to have a cause and the universe began to exist, therefore, something caused the universe to exist. It couldn't have caused itself. And she said before the whole class, over the course of this talk, she said, and this is why I believe for people like me who are Christians, it's easy to see that in order to create a universe, it'd have to be something that is intelligent and something that's very powerful, much like God. And she said, now, whether you agree or not, isn't it interesting to at least wonder about how the universe got here? She said, when she was done, this time they didn't ridicule her. Everyone clapped for her. And then she took questions and people started peppering her with questions that she was able to answer. The next day in class, she had this student come to her. Now, this is the daughter of a science teacher who's also an atheist, came to her and said, you know, Abby, that was really compelling what you shared. I realize the weight of my role as a parent is to help my kids in the best way that I can. And I want them to thrive. I want them to make a difference. I want them to be safe. But I also know there are moments when she has to be willing to face ridicule, challenges, because if she's ever gonna make a dent for the kingdom, she has to learn to overcome these things and how to interact with people. It's a big weight, isn't it? I think that's why we celebrate moms because we know the weight that they carry. Some labels have more weight than others. The second thing is, is that Jesus is no ordinary child though. So let me fast forward now 12 years. So they're going through the normal rituals, right? We know from other gospels that some wise men showed up and gave a bunch of gifts. But generally speaking, they're raising this child to be a good Jewish child, along with the rest of the family. Every year they go up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so here's what happens when Jesus is 12 years old. In verse 41, it says this. 
Uh, Now the parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So they go up there, and they're celebrating Passover. They're there with a huge group of people, so maybe their entire family, uh, some extended family, some relatives. Think of it as like you travel to Jerusalem like a large tailgate. So everyone's having fun, lots of kids and family. You go up to Jerusalem, you celebrate Passover, and then you go home. So when you're on your way home, they're more than a day on their way home, and they realize Jesus isn't with them. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, Mary, you had one job, raise the Son of God, right? How did you lose him? So they head back to Jerusalem, and they're searching everywhere, all over Jerusalem, and they finally find him in the temple. And here's what it says in verse 46. Now, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard of him, or all who heard him, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Think about this for a second. It was completely normal for in the temple area for the teachers, uh, uh, the rabbis, to be teaching the people about the word of God. They had all the Old Testament scriptures and they would explain the law and they would explain the purposes and how it is that, that the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel were supposed to honor God. They learned from other teachers and other rabbis, and they would regurgitate information and opinions about what they had heard. But they would teach sometimes the children, usually children who were 13 years old who were getting ready for their bar mitzvah. But here's this 12-year-old boy, Jesus, there. And it says they were all amazed at his understanding and his answers. Why? How is it that the experts... These people who have dedicated their life to teaching the law are talking to a 12-year-old boy, and they're amazed at him. He's correcting them. He's telling them the truth. He's explaining to them what the Word of God means. How can a 12-year-old boy do that? You see, he's no ordinary child. You know what it made me think about? Have you ever seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? C.S. Lewis wrote these incredible books about Narnia, and they made them into a movie. And, and uh, you know, the, the movie that came out most recently, just an incredible story. Uh, I was thinking about that as I was reading this passage. Because I was thinking about how, you know, there's these, these family of four kids. They go into Narnia, uh, and they are there. And Narnia has really these, these two leaders. They have the witch, who's kind of like the Satan figure, evil. And then they have Aslan, who's the lion, who's the Christ figure. And there's this epic battle between good and evil that's taking place. And these kids come into something they don't understand. And Edmund, one of the sons, uh, really just becomes completely selfish and becomes a traitor. He starts to work with the witch and he kind of sells out the other kids because he's desperate to get whatever he wants. Well, they rescue him back. And now here here he is in, in the kingdom with Aslan. And the witch comes riding into town. And she knows she's got Edmund because he's a traitor. And so she comes in and she says to Aslan, Well, you know, Narnia is built on law, meaning Edmund's mine. He belongs to me now. And when she says that, Aslan, with a roar, looks at her and says, you know, don't you cite the, you know, the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. I'm I'm just watching that. I get chills like, yes, that's right. He is the word of God. And that's exactly my point, that Jesus is no ordinary child. He is the word of God. These People who are experts of the law are trying to say what they believe about the word of God, and Jesus was there because he wrote it. Jesus was no ordinary child. I think at least these leaders in this moment are doing the very thing we were made to do. They were amazed at Jesus. How about you? Can I ask you something? Has there ever been a time when you found your faith kind of boring? 
You ever found your faith, you feel like it's kind of ordinary? Maybe uh, kind of obligatory? You know, where you're kind of just going through the motions of showing up to church or maybe kind of reading your Bible once in a while because it's become boring to you? Has that ever happened to you? See, what's happened is you've stopped being amazed by Jesus. You've allowed life to become about uh, religion. You get caught up in, in all the things you have to do rather than it's about a person, a relationship with the king of kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the most dangerous one and yet the most full of peace. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the author of our faith. He's the author of life. And I think all of our relationship with God is based on knowing him, to be in relationship with him. And I think what happens is for some people, the reason it's hard to kind of get into religion and get into Christianity is because they really aren't looking at Christ. They spend time, you know, uh, thinking about all the other things, but stop peering into Christ. And I think for people who are Christian like me, sometimes it gets kind of obligatory when we take our eyes off Christ. We start thinking about all the other things in the world. And I think what happens is our labels become more important to us than Jesus. You know, my job, my, my marriage, my children, uh, my relationships, my friendships, uh, my grades, the things that it is that I believe give me life. And I kind of shrink back in life to those things that make me feel comfortable. And this is the thing. When you start to really look into Christ, you realize that there are things about him that challenge us. In fact, that's the next thing I want to share is that Jesus won't be contained by our labels. Here's what happens, verse 48. Interesting interaction. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. It's kind of like they're looking at him and saying, Jesus, we do this every year. You know the drill. We all come up together. We celebrate the Passover together. It's a great time. And then we all go home together. Why are you still here? Why did you make us so upset? You freaked us out. We thought you were lost. That's what, that's what they're saying. And here's what Jesus says, verse 49. He says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Anyone who's been a parent, who's taken their eyes off their kid for a second, can totally understand where Mary and Joseph are coming from. Have you ever been to the store, you take your kids to the store, you, you're looking at something, you take your eyes off your kid, you turn around, your kid's not there? and you literally have an intense amount of panic in your soul, and you literally would, you would literally knock everyone over to make sure you can see your kid. You would do whatever it takes. You just have this incredible panic. I think that's what Mary and Joseph are feeling. They're panic-stricken. They, they don't want to lose their son. But when they find him, the interaction is very interesting. Jesus says something that I think he could say to any one of us. Why are you looking for me? Why are you looking for me? He could say that to us. Why are you going to church? Why do you read your Bible? What is it that you want from me? Why are you looking for me? Don't you know I have to be about my father's house? 
Uh, and other translations say, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Meaning, look, mom, dad, I know you were looking for me, but you should have known right where to find me. I have to be about my father's house. You should have come here first. Why? Because I know that we're family, but I have family. My father, I am about his business, his agenda. That is my life. Now, Jesus does the very honorable thing that a 12-year-old boy would do. He was submissive and he went home with them and then he was respectful. He honored his father and mother on earth and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That means he grew up. He got stronger physically. He got stronger you know, uh, spiritually. He got stronger in every way. But in that moment, what he was saying to them is that, look, I have an agenda and I'm gonna follow my agenda. And the, the agenda is my father's will. I'm gonna be about that with my life. Why didn't you look for me there? I think the way it hits us, if he asks that question, why do you look for me? Don't you know I have to be about my father's house? What he's saying is, look, you wanna find me, you're gonna find me doing my father's will. And I think what happens for us, what causes that uh, struggle in our relationship with Christ is typically we look for Christ to bless our life. And we fill our life with our labels, the things that, it, that make us feel comfortable and confident in life. And we gravitate towards, like if it's being a parent, we live for our kids. If it's our work, we live for the prestige and the finances that come from our work. If it's our relationships, it's all about having fun and connection and relationships. If it's about grades or prestige or honor or fun or whatever it is, we find these things in life that we think this is what my life's gonna be about. And then what we do is we go to Christ and we say, Christ, would you bless my life? Bless my labels. You know, God, I, I, want, I want this to happen. And this thing that's happening is interrupting my joy. It's actually injuring me. This sickness, this thing is hurting my life, the way I perceive my life. Will you please fix it? And I think God in his grace and mercy sometimes does. He says, all right, I will handle that for you. But the struggle is, if we really want to find Christ, if we want to be amazed by Christ, we want to see that he's not some ordinary figure of scripture, but he is the living King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If we want to see him and be amazed by him, we have to go to where he's at. And let me tell you where he is. He's following the Father's will. He's about the Father's business. Do you know what the Father's business is? The Father is reconciling the world to himself that he sent his son on the cross to pay the penalty for sin so that anyone who would come to him would not perish but would have eternal life. If you're a believer, you know that in your soul, that he rescued you from sin, that he brought you into relationship. You felt his forgiveness and grace and mercy. At the same time, we need to be ambassadors for his namesake. You see, he's reconciling the world to himself and he uses believers as his ambassadors, that we are agents of the gospel. And when we join him in what he's doing, that's where we're gonna find him. That's where our relationship with God is gonna take off. That's where our worship is gonna explode because we're gonna meet him where he's at. So if he said to any of us today, if he said, why, why are you looking for me? Because you're gonna find me doing the Father's will. And I think the way our labels become our limits is we stop looking for him where he's at and we just want him to be where we are at. I, uh, I think 
sometimes I run across people that, that seem to understand us better than others, right? Um, I think we all struggle with it at times because deep down we want to be comfortable and confident and we want our life to be safe. I ran across this, this couple recently. They're a retired couple. Uh, they started coming to LifePoint, and uh, I set up a time to talk with them and get to know their life. And uh, they had spent many years in China as missionaries. So I was particularly interested on how they got there and what life was like when they were in China. And he said, well, it basically started. They were, they were living in, in Westerville, and uh, you know, they were part of a great church, a Bible-believing church, a church where you could learn the Word of God uh, and really cement that into your soul. They had a great you know, group of people. They had a family. He had a great job providing for his family but he wanted more. He got the sense that, you know, we talk a lot about scripture. We talk a lot about Jesus. We talk a lot about the gospel, but we don't do a lot of it. You know, we don't help people to find Jesus. So he went to a conference, he and his wife, and and they were at the conference and they started to hear about how uh, some people were reaching internationals for Christ. So they came home and they thought, man, what if we could reach some Chinese people here in Central Ohio? So they started doing research about, at that time, back in the 80s, where were the people who were Chinese? And they realized most of them that they could find in Central Ohio are down at Ohio State. Well, this was right around the Christmas break time. So on Christmas morning, they took their children, they all kneeled down together, and they prayed, God, help us to reach Chinese students for Christ. They went down to Ohio State on Christmas Day, and they had made little tiny leaflet paper pieces that said, hey, if you would like to have a meal, we would love to prepare one for you. Uh, Just call this number and let us know. So something really simple. They go down to the Ohio Union, the old Ohio Union. They go down to the restaurant area, and near the Chinese restaurant was a whole line of these Chinese students waiting to get food there uh, at at Ohio State. So they literally handed pieces of paper to all these students in line. They went home and they prayed. Well, sure enough, a couple days later, they get a phone call from a grad student who said, hey, I would like to take you up on this. We would love to have a meal. And they said, well, we would sure love to provide one for you. Uh, Here's our address. We'd love to have you over. And the guy said, is it okay if I bring a few friends? And they said, yes, it is okay if you bring some friends. We'd love to have them all. And he said, from that point forward, for the next 10 years, every week they had uh, international students in their house many of them Chinese, and it turned into a Bible study every week. They had sometimes 15, sometimes 20. If they had events, as many as 50 students. And over the course of 10 years, they had many students who come to faith in Christ. Uh, They built incredible relationships uh, working with these students. And eventually, they went on a vacation uh, over into China. And he said, Ed, do you know where we stayed? We stayed with the families of the students that we had met. So the whole time they got to hang out in China and and they just were enamored with the idea that, man, God is using our life. We would love to reach more students. He also was kind of climbing the corporate ladder and had this great job. Uh, The company came to him and said, hey, we are going to open up a branch in China and we're looking for some people who might want to go. He said, I'll go. Uh, You don't understand. Like, it's going to be really hard. And, uh, you know, I know you're going to have to sell your family. We'll make it worth your while. We'll take care of everything. He goes, we'll go. He goes, no, you don't understand. Like, you want to make sure your wife is happy. And and we'll we'll do this and this and this. He goes, we'll go. They'd already been praying about it. And so they went over to China working for this company. And you know what they did? They built relationships with students, uh, invited them to their house, fed them, and started sharing Jesus with them. They did over there exactly what they did here. That was their entire mission, was literally meeting people, feeding them, talking to them about Jesus, helping them to follow Jesus while they were working. And that lasted uh, until kind of an economic downturn caused that, uh, that place to shut down, and he had to move back to the States. They moved him to Atlanta, Georgia, where he was kind of high up and making a lot of money, and, but he longed to go back to China. 
So now here he is re nearing retirement age, and he got an opportunity from another believer in China who was opening up uh, some business there and wanted people to come and run his business and then use uh, that business as a way to reach the workers for Christ. So a fellow believer was, was asking him to come take this opportunity. He was offering him the same amount of money you might make as a secretary here in, in the States. And so he kind of chuckled. So he goes to his boss and says, hey, I'm thinking about going to China and I, I want to retire early and, and go to China. And they didn't want him to go. They, they said, and he told me this and they kind of chuckled. He goes, they offered us a gazillion dollars to stay. He goes, but it was never about the money. So we let that go and we moved back to China. And you know what we did there? We built relationships. We had people over for dinner. Uh, we, we told them about Jesus and we started Bible studies. And that all happened until the pandemic and the pandemic forced them to come home and they long to go back. You know, when I think about their story, there was nothing about them that was special, except that they wanted to be where Jesus was, part of the reconciliation, and they just offered themselves. Instead of allowing their labels as a parent, as a worker, uh, their, their lifestyle, their position, they didn't allow any of those things to define their life. They allowed the heart of an ambassador to be about the reconciliation of the gospel in the world, to be their definition of who they were. And all these things mattered to them, of course. But they just wanted to be where Jesus was. They didn't want these labels to become their limits. You know, I think that's an incredible example uh, to me, to all of us, that, you know, we, we want to be where Jesus is. Let me ask you, where are you at? Are your labels becoming so important to you that uh, this defines your life? Are you finding yourself kind of bored or a little bit uh, feeling disconnected from Christ? Lean in. Go towards him. Ask him how God might want to use your life. If you're listening in and maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I've never been connected to Christ. Well, today's a day that you can find forgiveness and mercy because of the gospel. The very thing that he sent his son into the world to do is that people who are far from God would be given grace and mercy, forgiveness, that they could be made right with God. Let's take a second to pray together. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us that, uh, that we would lean into you, that we would see that you're no ordinary uh, person, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, we know that in our heart, but we gravitate towards what makes us comfortable. Lord, I pray that we would see you for who you are, that we would uh, become part of your work. We would be part of the Father's house, his business. Lord, use our lives. I pray you would leverage us, leverage our positions, leverage our families, leverage our economic status, leverage our grades, leverage everything about us, Lord, for something bigger than just us. God, that we may meet you there, that you would, make, uh, you would use us to make a difference, that you would be a light of revelation to those who need to know you, and we would be to your own glory the way we follow you. If you're listening in and you've never made the decision to follow Christ, simply say to God right now, Father in heaven, I believe in you, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simply say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm calling on you. Would you please forgive me of my sin? I wanna follow you. Help me follow you. Would, you. would you lead my life, Jesus? You need to know it's that little simple step of faith that actually fulfills all the requirement of what God wants from you because he did all the work on the cross. He simply wants your step of faith. Let me pray for you. Father, for all of those who are taking first steps with you, I pray that you would show up in their life, help them to sense your presence, fill them with your joy and your peace and your grace and your mercy. 
God, help them as they just start this journey with you. We ask all this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, once again, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, Thank you so much for celebrating with us. Dean's gonna come and he's gonna share some next steps uh, that you can take.